You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. We're taking a break from talking about dynamics and romantic relationships this episode to talk about one of my other favorite topics, which is traveling and living abroad. Today's guest is Christine Job, who is an expat living in Spain and has a business focused on um, helping people to make the, the journey to living abroad as a pathway to wellness. And I've been doing a lot of reflecting lately about my own desire to live abroad, and I'm realizing that I'm I'm really torn. One part of me is ready to buy a house, which I know will be a commitment that is going to keep me anchored to one spot for a number of years. But then another part of me is ready to flee this sinking ship of a country. I wake up in favor of a different option every day or so, but I'm also noticing how much more hesitant I am to go somewhere and start over again. And I think it has a lot to do with my last big move. So some of you may know from listening to other episodes, but for those who don't, I moved from Atlanta to Baltimore in January, 2020. I was about a year and a half out of grad school and got my first real job in a small town about 40 or 45 minutes from Baltimore. So I definitely wasn't going to live in this little bitty town. So I decided I'll just live in Baltimore and just drive out to go to work every day. So I've always been the type that didn't hesitate to pick up and go and, you know, never needed to wait on anybody else to do it. I thought I was going to be in D.C. and New York and Philly every weekend, brunching, dating and just being outside. However, life had very, very different plans because two and a half months after I got there, the pandemic hit. And it's already hard making friends as an adult. (laughs) Then the amount of effort it takes to make new friends as an adult introvert is harrowing. And so making friends as an adult introvert in a brand new city during a global pandemic, I really didn't stand a chance. And at the beginning of the pandemic, Nobody knew what the fuck was going on. I mean, <laughs> I remember being told only healthcare workers needed to wear masks. Uh, I remember finding toilet paper or Lysol wipes was an extreme, uh, an extreme sport. Folks were wiping down everything they bought, like they could catch COVID from a bag of chips. Like the the world changed so fast and so soon after I had already made a life changing move. So being up there by myself. It's actually what pushed me to get a dog because I was literally up there by myself. Um, and it's been it's been helpful. It was helpful and not so helpful. So in Baltimore, I lived across the street from a huge 130 acre park. And where before, before I got the dog, I rarely ever had a reason to leave the house. Once I got him, I started meeting people because I, you know, had to take them out and I would take them to the park. And gradually I started feeling like part of a little community. My dog gets a lot of, a lot of attention everywhere he goes because he's, 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 he's a nice, he's a handsome dog. He's gorgeous. So everybody knew him and he had his little friends and I met some people, some very kind people through him. 
The downside was I discovered he had separation anxiety, which I think I talked about on the episode on being child free. But the thing about separation anxiety is that you can't leave your dog home alone until you've treated the separation anxiety or else it can just get worse. And there's also no quick fix. So he's basically basically like a small child in that anywhere I go or anywhere I wanted to go, I had to make arrangements for him to have a babysitter or be in daycare. And um, that wasn't necessarily easy easy to do um, because, again, I didn't, I didn't know very many people. And daycare is not cheap. Daycare for dogs, daycare in general is not cheap. So um, as you can imagine, this limited my ability to just get up and go, even though I had made a few friends. So I ended up moving back to Atlanta to get back to a sense of familiarity. I I lived in Baltimore for two years, but I never, I feel like I never got to know the city and it it never became familiar to me, even after two years of living there, which I think in large part had to do with it, the pandemic and not knowing people and not getting to experience the city under normal circumstances. So the whole experience, um, had me thinking about community and how important it is. And it wasn't until I left in 2020 to move to Baltimore that I realized the significance of the community I left behind and, you know, what a huge role it played, um, in my overall well being. So in moving back or sorry, in moving to Baltimore, I not only lost community, but I, I think the act of moving somewhere and starting fresh got spoiled by the circumstances that followed. I'm just realizing after months of having moved back from Baltimore that some part of me now associates starting over with catastrophic, catastrophic global scale tragedy (laughs) as hyperbolic as that sounds. And like I said, Two episodes ago, we haven't had the space or time. I don't believe we've had the space or the time to fully process all the ways that going through the pandemic has changed us. So this is just one way that I'm just realizing, you know, I've been changed by this is one of the effects of the pandemic is like now I kind of associate, you know, moving, moving and starting over with you know, something devastating happening, something unimaginable happening. And so it's a weird space to be in, to still want out of this country very badly, but also to be afraid of the challenges starting over in a way that I wasn't before, which is why I'm glad we talked about community in this interview and the beauty in having options. I don't really know where I'll be in five years, but I guess part of the fun is supposed to be in the journey or whatever. Today, our guest is Christine Job, who is an expat, an entrepreneur, and host of Flourish in the Foreign podcast, which is a podcast for Black women living and thriving abroad. How are you today, Christine? I'm doing great, and I'm super duper excited to chat with you today. So thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. So I always start out talking about a little bit of the guest background. So can you give me a little bit of your background? And maybe since we're talking about living abroad and kind of traveling, living abroad, can you talk about how your background influenced your understanding of 
Black women living abroad or traveling abroad or what you thought, you know, was a possibility for Black women? Yeah. So I think going way, way back, my dad and my grandparents are Trinidadian and they immigrated to the United States in the 70s. So I have that in my blood of moving and and trying to find a better place and searching for, you know, better opportunity. My mom is Black American. She was in the Air Force as, as well as my dad. And my mom was stationed abroad in Korea and the Philippines and other places when I was really small. And so I was used to, you know, my parents being away and abroad and them bringing back, you know, different types of money and things like that and being actually exposed to different types of food while I'm growing up because they've been exposed to it. And then also because I was quite young when my parents were deployed and were out doing that and they were no longer together, I was actually shipped between family members when I was really, really young. So this was many, many years ago when a four-year-old could be an unaccompanied minor. And they're just like, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Here's some like plane wings and okay, bye. You know? So <laughs> I, I never learned the fear of flying. I never learned the fear of like, you know, like different cultures and things like that. I definitely had like stranger danger, but mm-hmm. I just never, it, it never rattled me. And I also don't come from a family that are like, but what if they're more racist? Or something like I don't come from that kind of family. My family is very much get up and go, especially for like economic opportunities. I always tell people my my mother's side of the family, I call them a small nomadic tribe of women that have no problem getting up and going. And so I come from that. And then I guess how I ended up here in Spain, it's a long story, but basically, you know, I always wanted to live abroad since I was 17 because of my my childhood. My dad actually was stationed in Germany when I was 10. So I just already had that kind of experience. I studied abroad here in Valencia, Spain, 15 years ago. That still feels like that can't be right. And it's true. 15. And it's like, I have the pictures. It's some horrible fashions, but that's what it was. <laughs> and then, you know, I I wanted to live abroad. I tried to figure it out. I couldn't really figure it out for many, many years. I graduated from college, went to law school, and ended up walking the Camino Santiago in 2014 and really was like, I'm going to make it happen. And I did. I, I moved to Spain in 2017, and I don't have any plans on returning to the United States, although I may not stay in Spain. So I think I answered Mm -hmm. your question. I hope I did. (laughs) You did. You did. So I know from our previous talk, you said you lived in Atlanta. And so now you live in Spain. Can you talk about a little bit about the process of becoming an expat from the United States and were there any struggles or how did that go for you? Yeah, I am from Atlanta and the process of becoming an expat, I mean, is simple, but also is is complicated because there's humans involved. And depending on which country you're trying to you know, immigrate to, depends on how organized how uniform their processes are. I moved to Spain, so those processes are not uniformed. And so basically what I needed to do was I needed to get a visa and I got a visa through the language assistant program that I joined. I went to Miami, I filed all the paperwork and things like that. 
And then I kind of just moved to Spain. So it's simple in that kind of capacity. But then not everyone wants to be a language assistant teaching kids <laughs> for, mm-hmm. for nine months. So there's different mm-hmm. ways, right? You could be an entrepreneur. You could be an investor. You can go on a, like a non-lucrative. You can be a student and learn a language and move. I actually... Before I decided to come to Spain, I was looking at many different options. And one of the options was the Netherlands. And the Netherlands has the Dutch-American Friendship Treaty or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that isn't, that's actually pretty, I mean, from the from when I was researching it and I was consulting with a, a Dutch attorney, it's a really easy kind of way to go abroad in that way if you or people are interested. It's being an entrepreneur. It's about, you know, having some money in the bank and stuff like that. So it really is mostly about deciding on the place and how you want to mm-hmm. live and then just doing the steps. That part is is easy. Then it's like moving <laughs> and and living and settling. Right, right. Okay, that's interesting. I have myself thought about living abroad as an expat, but I feel like it's just really, really, really complicated. And maybe it's because I haven't picked a place and looked into what it takes to get there. It's good to hear that it can be a simple-ish process, right? So I also wanted to ask, so one of the things you use your platform to convey is that living and thriving abroad is a pathway to, to wellness. So can you talk more about that? What does that, what does that mean? Yeah, that is, I mean, I might get that tattooed because it's something that I deeply, deeply believe in. And I think it's something that doesn't get talked a lot about in general in the expat space. And I'll say even more so in the kind of new, like black expat space that kind of has emerged in the past two years. A lot of it is centered around romanticization, escapism. And that's not sustainable. And that's like the best way to go abroad and like break your own heart, basically. And then be mad, be mad at France, be mad at Colombia, be mad at all these places and be like, it's you, it's it's you because you went abroad for the wrong reason. So moving abroad requires intentionality, I believe, Mm -hmm. because it's a hassle. I mean, it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, moving is a hassle. So moving to a different country is a hassle. Now, the thing is, is that I feel like a lot of people are running away from something. And it's not for me to judge on what you're running away from. Like, that's on you. But my thing is, that's a setup. It's a setup that once I get to this place, my life will be better. Everything is going to be better. Once I get to this country, everyone's going to embrace me. And like, it's a, you know, coming to America scene. Like, that's not what happens. Moving abroad, changing locations does not heal you. It is not the balm for whatever ails you. What it can do is create the space, the physical space from all the irritants in your life that might be irritating. It can create the space. It can create perhaps the resources, free up your resources, be able to invest in your mental health, your wellness. You may be able to afford healthy, organic foods or what have you. You may be able to engage in your passions, have the lifestyle, sleep cycle, all these types of things that will aid in your your wellness and your well-being. But simply changing location is not it. So when I'm talking Mm -hmm. about living abroad as a pathway to wellness, I'm talking about, yeah, your resources can be freed up and that can be invested into your wellness. But I think something even more nuanced is that 
when you're abroad, you are othered, you're a foreigner. And mm-hmm. that's actually a space in which I think, especially as Black women, we should embrace truly. And I'm talking about not just in Europe, but even on the continent, because you are going to be othered because you are not like everyone else, no matter what, mm-hmm. right? So it's not just skin color, it's culture, it's language, it's beliefs and things like that. And what I think is really amazing is that because you are othered, you can respect a culture and participate in, in society while also creating that space where there's no expectation for you, right? You're not, mm-hmm. you move to a different country, they're not putting you on their societal timeline because they're like, you're a foreigner, right? So it's actually a lot of freedom. It creates a lot of space. You're outside of your culture and your societal context, your social norms, timelines. And now you're in a space in which people are really giving you the space to do whatever you need to do because there's no expectations Mm -hmm. that you're going to be doing whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. Obviously still being respectful, but they're like, you're a foreigner. That's what foreigners do. That I think is actually a really big component to it. Like, what do you do in that space when now you can decide who you are, what you are, what you're about without any really major pressures? You know, I think that's important. But also that space, it's it's important to be intentional because the thing about moving abroad, even when you love it, you love the country, you love the culture, you speak the language, whatever, is that it's still different for you. And in that Mm -hmm. difference, it's not just the difference that you like. I always tell people like, don't move abroad and be like, I want to be just like Atlanta, but minus X, Y, and Z. Doesn't work like that. Does not work like that. What I want people to do is, is think about, I'm going to move abroad and all the things that I'm excited about being different are going to be great, but there's going to be a lot of other stuff that I'm not going to be so excited about being different. (laughs) I don't have to work Mm -hmm. through it. But in that contrast, in that resistance, I think that there's magic there, right? So if you're going abroad intentionally, you, I believe, will have the wherewithal or at least give yourself the grace and space to have a breath if you know, you don't have cinnamon toast crunch on the menu. And I bring up that kind of example because people do lose their shit over cereal and weird stuff. But if you're not intentional, you're just going to be mad. You're going to be like, mm-hmm. ugh, and you're going to go away. You're going to be irritated if you're in- intentional. She's like, man, I just want some cinnamon toast, cr- toast crunch. But the thing is, is that you may be able to switch that irritation to curiosity And in Mm -hmm. that curiosity, be just that much open to another way of life. So to another breakfast item, to another anything. And that I think is really like the magic of living abroad, truly, is that little bit of being receptive to something different Mm -hmm. and allowing it and experiencing it. Because let's talk about it. At home, even if you feel like you're, you know, you've read Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, I'm so present, stuff like that. A lot of us aren't because we just don't have to, because we, all of our assumptions about our our surroundings, our environment, we know they're true. Our expectations, we know it. Like we can go on automatic because we've been, we're a part of that society. When you're abroad, there's nothing that you can really <laughs> expect. Everything is like, 
what? What's happening? I've been abroad for five years. There's still things where I'm like, what's going on, y'all? What's going on? So you're you're kind of in the space of like radical present awareness. You're like really hyper, it's not hyper vigilance, but it's like hyper awareness. And in mm-hmm. that, that consciousness, you get to choose differently. If you do it intentionally, you get to choose differently. You get to be curious. And I think the thing is, is that moving abroad, although it is a leap of faith, it's a big deal. Having a life well lived, cultivating a life well lived abroad is really in the small decisions. It's it's a compound effect. It is in the day to day choices that we're making. So Living abroad is a pathway to wellness 100%. It's just not magic fairy dust. It's not going to, you know, confetti is going to blow up in your face when you get off the plane and your life Mm -hmm. is going to be better. It is truly about a cultivation. It's about getting your hands dirty. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because I really value the idea of Black women having the opportunity to define their lives in ways outside of what everybody else says they should be. So I really like that you kind of frame living abroad as a way to, that opens you up to different choices and and different possibilities for your life. So that's really good. I have said myself that being abroad as a Black woman specifically feels kind of like hyper visible and invisible at the same time in a sense that maybe in some spaces I feel like, oh, especially in non-Black majority places and maybe even in those spaces, but hyper visible in a sense that I'm clearly not from there. So like I may get a lot of attention in that way, but invisible in that I'm not from there. So people might actually be like, oh, she's, she's not from here. She's foreign. She's a tourist or she's whatever. So can you explain like how it feels for you to be a black woman abroad in different spaces? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. It is this hyper visibility. Like I'm black. I'm not ambiguously black. I'm like black, black. <laughs> You know, like no one's like, what do you mix with? They're like, you're black. I, I have locks. They call them Rastas mm-hmm. here, which I'm like, no, I'm not really about <laughs> that. But OK, you know, they're copper colored. Like I'm hyper visible. You know what I mean? I, I, I am. People are like, who is who are you? What's happening? And Spaniards love to stare. They will stare you down in your face. And I'm like. I when I first moved here, I was just like, so everybody wants to get it. Like, because the thing is, like, this is a culture thing, right? In Atlanta, if you stare in somebody's face, like, that's an act of aggression. Like, okay, I guess we're fighting. And they're like, <laughs> no, I had so many friends be like, no, they're just, you know, you obviously they've never seen anyone like you or you're so beautiful. And I'm like, no, well, y'all can smile, but also smile when you stare at me, but also you got two seconds. I ain't letting you stare at me for five minutes. Like, y'all need to move on. Move on. So the hyper hyper visibility is definitely a thing. Invisibility. Hmm. I don't know if I feel invisible here, but I think I understand what you mean about maybe not being part of a greater community because you're a foreigner. Especially here in Spain, I feel like, oh my gosh. I feel like there's like these festivals that happen. And I'd be like, oh, what's this festival about? I'll ask them, I'm like, what's this festival about? And people are like, I don't know. I'm like, you're from here. They're like, it's like, they try to explain it. It's all this roundabout way. I'm like, what's the history? I don't know. Something old happened. Because everybody just knows what's happening. I'm like, but I don't know. Is there a website where even on the website, they'll just be like, y'all know what's up. It's on Friday. And you're just like, 
I don't know what's up. Please tell me. So there is like this kind of invisibility where there's an assumption. Like everybody's like, well, we just do this. That's what's mm-hmm. happening. We don't got to announce it. We don't got to explain it. So that I think can be interesting, but I've been really, really fortunate to always cultivate community in whatever city that I live in. And I've been really fortunate to always find Black people and and have community with Black people from across the diaspora and, and also other really interesting international people as well. So I feel less invisible in that way because I always feel like I'm part of community. I feel like I'm a valued part of community, even if it's not like the larger city community. And I've always lived in a big, well, that's not true. I've lived in two big cities and one small town. But I've always felt, I never felt isolated. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been pretty good for me. Okay. Can you talk about that a little bit more, how you have found community in the different places that you've lived? Yeah. Abroad? Yeah. The thing is, is that like, I am a true blue introvert and people are like, no, but you do this. And that. I'm like, that's not what introvert means. <laughs> I'm not socially awkward. <laughs> I'm not like shy. I'm just introverted. So being abroad, though, I've had to be extroverted or at least exert a lot of effort. And it feels gargantuan. I'm not going to joke. I am a homebody. I like to be at home. I like to be around like intimate friends and family. And when you don't have that, when you first move to a place, you have to go out and seek out that tribe because it's easy to to stay at home, especially as an introvert, be like, I'm good here, you know, and I work online and I like talk to all my clients on my computer. Like I don't have to speak Spanish if I don't want to. I can just be in my house. So you have to, and I've had to exert a lot of effort to do that, which sucks to be honest, because it's exhausting. You know, you go out to expat events, which are always hit and miss, always, because Let's just be real. Just because you're expat or someone says they're expat, basically a foreigner, a Western foreigner or whatever, doesn't mean that they're cultured, (laughs) doesn't mean that they are intelligent, doesn't mean they are anything. It just means that they're an expat. That's it. So it does. It takes time and effort to go out there to be like, what do I like to do? Do it in a different mm-hmm. language. Find other mm-hmm. people who you think are cool and cultivate those relationships. I mostly have done that by joining groups like Facebook groups and going and doing those types of like rooftop things. But I also just, and I always tell people, do the things that you're interested in. So even if the people suck, you're like, well, I did what I wanted to do. <laughs> that, that is, that's how I coax myself out of a house. I'm like, these people might be whack, but I went to this wine tasting and that was great. But I like, now I know a sommelier. I got a wine shop. Like I'm cool. Even if people are sucky, I'm like, that's fine. Or I'll go on a hike or, or go do yoga or I'm getting involved here in Valencia in their entrepreneurship and startup scene. Those are things that I were already interested in. So if the people are whack, it doesn't really matter because I will still... <laughs> I will still be fulfilled. But yeah. And but you have to get out there. And that's what I've done. I've always gotten out there, networked, met people. I mean, I'll tell a brief story. This is kind of ridiculous. And I'm super introverted, okay? So keep that in mind. But when I first moved to Barcelona, I'd been living in La Rioja and I moved to Barcelona in 2018 that summer. 
And I actually had a friend from the States come and she was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be in Barcelona. I was like, oh, cool. Come through, whatever. And she had heard through, I don't know, Facebook, something about somebody having a, a birthday party. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, it's going to be like all these black people. I was like, what? Oh, we got to go. So I crashed a whole birthday party. I crashed a whole birthday party. I knew no one there. My friend knew someone. And I was just like, hey, I actually live here. What's up? Be my friend. And some people are like, who are you? But actually, one person, shout out to Rachel, Jamaican. She used to live in Barcelona. Now she lives in Ghana. She was like, oh, sis, what's your name? It's like, Christy. She's like, oh, you're going to come hang out with us. I was like, oh, perfect. You got to go out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wanted to be around other Black people. And she actually created a really cool community of Black young professionals all across the diaspora, too. So PhD students researchers, all these different types of people coming together and we would have fun and stuff like that. But you may have to crash a birthday party. You may just be like, what's up? What's going on? You know, just to see. And I will say though, with a caveat is not all, you know, skin folk or kin folk, Mm -hmm. even abroad, just because you share skin color (laughs) or, or how about this nationality and you speak the same language that's not enough. Just like it's not enough at home. It's not enough. So, you know, you got to get out there so you can see what's what and who's who and and who wants to hang out with other Black people because not all Black people want to hang out with other Black people abroad. That's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, I had to learn that to like some of my travels because, you know, being from the South, I'd be like, oh, you say hi to people and stuff. So I would see other Black people and say hi. And they'd be looking at me like, <laughs> yeah, that's because we have manners. And some people don't. And I'm like, look, I didn't ask you for money. <laughs> like, I just, I just wanted to smile at you and say, hi, Black person. I see you. Like, yo, we're Black here. In this and other people, culturally, maybe they're like, you know, they're black, but they might be Swedish. You know, Scandinavians are a little bit more insular and closed off or Germans mm-hmm. or something like that. Okay, I get it. You know, being black American and from the South, I'm different. And I also take offense to things <laughs> differently, too. I'll be like, oh, so you're not going to speak? Okay. So we don't have beef, but, like, I don't fuck with you now. <laughs> so, and people are like, what? We didn't say anything. I'm like, look. You see some black people, all you do is smile. That's all you got to do. You don't got to get, you don't got to do nothing. You don't even got to dap them up. All you got to do is smile. smile. Or make <laughs> eye contact, you know, especially if you have a mask on or wherever you are. Just, you know, so. Acknowledge them. I would think so. Because, you know, <laughs> to, especially like here in Europe, to everybody else, world is black. Until mm-hmm. you open your mouth and you speak, you know, fluent German or Spanish or Swedish. And they're like, oh, okay, you're Swedish. We all just black, so you know, but that's a that's a conversation maybe for another day. That's an interesting point you bring up. I was gonna ask, do you feel like you get any kind of different treatment as a black American or so you feel like all black people are kind of perceived the same way where you are? I mean, yes, yes and no. So yeah, like here in Spain, people would be like Black, especially because I'm like, I'm not light skinned. So maybe if I was light skinned, they'd be like, oh, exotic. Like, no, I'm black, negra. So there's that. Now, do I get different treatment? A hundred percent because of, you know, probably the places where I've lived in different cities. People are like, you got some money, girl? I'm like, don't worry about me. No, you got some money? Like, 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? They find out you're American and the game changes. The game 100% changes. It just does. They, whether they think you have money or they're like, oh, you're super cool because you're Black American and so many things that go with that, assumptions and things like that. So being perceived as Black, depending on where you are, who you're speaking to, sometimes it's negative until they find out I'm American. Sometimes just like curiosity, again, because I have like copper colored locks. So just like, what's, who are you? What's happening here? I've never seen this. And I'm like, Y'all, y'all have Google. What do y'all what do y'all watch on Amazon? I want to be like, what do y'all watch on Netflix? Y'all don't watch nobody else except for white people. All right, well, I guess you would be like astonished seeing a black person in real life. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it's really dependent. It, it depends. I know that some people are Afro-Spanish speaking perfect, like especially here in Valencia, speaking perfect Spanish, obviously speaking Valenciano, which is the local dialect. And they've told stories about people being like, oh, wow, you speak, you know, you speak very good Spanish. And they're like, because I'm Spanish. And they're like, "Mm, no, you're not. And you're like, I am a whole Spanish person. And they're like, no, you know, so it's like, wow, you know, I, I feel like those are actually some stories I'm really interested in bringing onto my podcast. But as a foreigner, yeah. I mean, anti-Blackness is a global occurrence, but Black American culture is consumed at an amazing and voracious rate. So it's an interesting balance. And I think also being a woman is throws in something else, like an intersectionality of things that blows people's minds. They're just like, what? What's happening? I'm like, y'all should read books. <laughs> So do you ever, do you ever experience microaggressions or do maybe people's preconceived notions of you ever come off as offensive or are they just annoying or just something you're aware of and you just don't really, it doesn't really bother you? How does that impact you? I mean, micro, macro aggressions, they're different from the United States, right? So I guess a microaggression, I feel like I encounter a lot is, you know, I speak Spanish, but people will switch to English. I don't like that. And I don't know if that's unique to being like black or there's like, girl, what's that accent? I know I have an accent because I'm not from here, but I'm speaking to you in Spanish. So like work with me. I think that is definitely one that drives me nuts. I think mm, what else would be? I mean, a macroaggression. I don't know if we've talked about this, but, you know, I and every woman that I've known that's lived in Spain has, and I've interviewed women, but also women I haven't put on my podcast, have they have experienced being propositioned as a prostitute. And you're just like, what? I got that a lot in Europe. And you're just like, why do you think I'm a prostitute, right? Like, I didn't, am I on prostitute way? I didn't think so. I thought we were just walking down the street. So that is obviously very concerning. I think because of the way I was raised, and I think, I guess it's like American patriarchal Caribbean kind of like thing. Girls are always raised to be like, don't be perceived as fast, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't even paint my, my fingernails for the longest and I definitely couldn't paint them red or something because that'll be fast. All these different things. So you you have that inside of you unconsciously, you go abroad and get propositioned as a prostitute. And the first 
instinct is like, well, what did I do for people to think that I'm a prostitute? And it has nothing to do with you. You go through like, was I wearing something? I mean, I didn't have red fingernail polish, like all these weird kind of things. You do. You, 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 it's like an internal thing of like, what am I doing? I've had women tell me they got propositioned standing at a bus stop with all these other people just like standing on a bus stop. And they're like, but you, you're the prostitute or at the grocery store. And I'm like, look, a sex worker has to eat. But I definitely don't think she's on the clock if she's at the grocery store. Just like if you're a CPA and you're at the grocery store, someone's going to be like, oh, hey, I have this question. You're like, no. So it's like it's it's wild. It's wild. Now, is this a, a constant aggression or like a continuous thing? Definitely not. I think I've mm-hmm. talked to like all the women I've talked to. It's not an, uh, it's not something that has happened every day, every week, every month, every year. But you remember when someone thinks that you're a prostitute and you're like, I'm not. You remember that. And and I've actually I've spoken to my Spanish teacher about it. And he's a white guy. And he was like, what? I can't believe it. I was like, all right. You can't. I mean, you're a white guy. There's a lot of things you can't believe. Like. <laughs> There's a lot of things you you were like astonished about, but yeah, it makes me not <laughs> hang around or what would be the word? Loiter is loiter the word? It's not even loitering. Like I still, I get my life doesn't change. It has not changed a lot. But the thing is, is that the people who proposition you are always old ass white Spanish men. So my <laughs> thing is, is like if I see one, I'm like no. I don't, if I do, like, if I see one or if he's looking at me and he could just be looking, cause again, I look different, but I am quick to be like mean mug, sir, abuelo, like you somebody's great, get, you know what I'm saying? Wherever. And I'm not even sure if prostitution is like hundred percent legal here. So I'm like, well, wherever that is sanctioned or wherever that happens, you should go there instead of just bothering women walking down the street. Right. Yeah, I have stories as well in Europe. <laughs> Randoms coming up and being like, <laughs> you want to go to a hotel? No, <laughs> I don't. It's the audacity um, too to think, one, to just be like, oh yeah, every black woman is probably a prostitute and the, that you could afford every black woman. That's also what I'm like, that's interesting that you just thought like you would be able to pay my rate. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a business strategist, so I'm like, I. That's where my mind goes. I'm like, oh, that's that's bold of you. <laughs> so it's like, oh, that's cute. Okay. <laughs> so I know you said you're in Valencia, Spain. Now, have you lived in other countries or or mostly Spain? I've only lived in Spain. I've only lived in Spain and United States. I've visited places, but you know, I'm a person that. A lot of people will be like, I live someplace. They live there for a month. I'm not that person. I'm more like if I am, if I immigrated, if I would have if I had some paperwork, then I lived there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I visit a lot of places. I had a little stint as a digital nomad in Southeast Asia and Latin America, but I only consider myself like living in Spain and the United States. Mm-hmm. And what made you choose Spain? Because it's like the easiest thing. <laughs> To be honest, it was the easiest thing. And for me, I think the way I I was raised and a lot of black women, I think, can relate to this, you know, being an overachiever, striving, we endure. And then we also associate achievement with like 
extreme effort. If it doesn't come hard, it's not worth it. And I was really burnt out by the time I decided to move to Spain. I was like really burnt out and I didn't even know it. I didn't even have the language. So it became because of just where I was in my life, I was like, I really need the path of least resistance. And so, and that's kind of why I decided on Spain as opposed to the Netherlands or anywhere else. I was just like, I've been to Spain. I walked this Camino Santiago. Like I know it. I speak Spanish. I just got into this program. It provides uh, insurance and a stipend. I was like, let me just go on to Spain. And then staying here, you know, also because I, you know, put down roots and, have flipped all these different kind of experiences. It kind of made sense for me to stay, but that's the only reason why. I mean, I love Spain. I do actually, with all of its problematicness, because it is it's a lot of it. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, y'all, y'all have an interesting education system. Like, I feel like y'all don't really know yourselves. But okay, but it's a beautiful country. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. It's actually geographically so diverse, and it really hits a lot of the major points for me. I love to hike. I like being in the, in the outdoors. I also like to travel. So major international airport. Also mm-hmm. just like just different climates. You know, if I wanted to feel like a foggy kind of Irish kind of vibe, I go to Galicia. If I want to go to wine region, there's like four or five throughout the country with different like specialities. Mediterranean, that whole lifestyle, go to the Canaries. So it's, it has a lot of really great points that have like kept me here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you mentioned something interesting that they, you feel like they have an education problem and they don't really know themselves and they're, and they're like history. Do you, how do you think that compares to the U.S.? And do you think that has anything to do with both of them, the U.S. and Spain having a history of being colonizers? <laughs> Definitely. I think that's what's so fascinating. I think living abroad gives you a lot of fresh perspective on the propaganda that's, you know, proffered as education, as facts in your home country. Because you'll be like, that's not a fact. And people are like, no, that's the way. And you're like, no, it's not. United States couldn't possibly have a nationalized health care and you would never want it anyway. And you go and you're like, yeah, actually it's possible. Yeah, you know, there's countries where... Yo, the ABC nightly news calls like emerging economies, third world country, and they have nationalized. I'd be like, y'all just be lying and everybody be going with it because you think that's the truth. And you're like, no. So that's the thing you recognize, like it's propaganda. And it's not really a slight towards Spanish people because it's the same thing for American people. I mean, they you go to school and you're like, all right, that's enough. And they're like, America's number one. So that's what you think. So I would say that, yeah, Spanish people don't know themselves as much as, you know, Americans don't know themselves, don't understand, you know, American interventionism and imperialism. They just be like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, Venezuela's bad or whatever. They'd be like, that's just bad because it's bad. And you're like, okay, all right. Or I don't want Russia to mess with our elections, like United States mess with people's elections, but. What? We would never do that because you don't know your history, but they don't want you to. So I can't fault Mm -hmm. you in a way because you would have never known to even Google that, perhaps. Same thing, I think, in Spain. They were under dictatorship until 1975. So like their (laughs) democracy is very young. And, you know, all of the dictators, affiliates and all his friends were never brought to justice or jailed. So they are still very much 
in charge of a lot of things, like in charge of major phone companies, energy companies, a lot of the policies that don't make sense just because it's meant to make someone money. <laughs> and it's it's a crony, it's cronyism. So that happens here. And because, you know, they were under dictatorship so long, I think... It, I don't think they have come to a reckoning of what their identity or their or their what their place is in world history. I, f- mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of Spaniards who you know they're prejudiced against like Latinos, which I thought was wild. I'm like, but they speak Spanish, yo. Like <laughs> they speak Spanish, and they're like, no. I had a friend when I lived in La Rioja, Colombian American, but white passing, super white passing. I feel like that girl looks white. She speaks she speaks Spanish, she's Colombian, she goes to Colombia all the time. And people would be like, mm, you speak Spanish like a Mexican. So you have to be like, one, Mexican Spanish don't sound nothing like Colombian Spanish at mm-hmm. all. One, Colombia has actually many different accents, as most countries do. So I was like, what are you even saying? That doesn't even make any fucking sense. So having this kind of like prejudice against Latinos, I thought was like, wow, that's wild. Like, why do you think that these people speak Spanish? And are Catholic. Like, why do you think it's wild? You know, so it's very interesting. They will, like, I've, I've heard people talk about, oh, Spain was so great. You know, we, we were an imperial power. You're like, you colonized all of the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but it was great because we were number one. And I'm like, that's the language of the United States. So it's never like to be like, oh, Spanish people down or anything like that. It's just like, you don't know yourself. Like a lot of countries mm-hmm. and citizens don't know yourself because I think especially the United States, it's a you got to work or you're going to die. So you may not have the time or capacity or interest to learn more about your country because you're like, I have to work or I'm going to die because it's set up that way. They don't really have that excuse because they they don't go like if they don't work, they're not going to die. They have really great, you know, social safety nets. But no, they, they, they have an ignorance. That's really mm-hmm. fascinating, especially considering that they were colonized by the Moors for like 400, mm-hmm. 500 years. Right. It's like it's it's fascinating. It's it's you know Toni Morrison has a quote that I'm always gonna butcher, but she says, "What does she say?" The the function of racism. No, the definers. Oh. It's like the defined. The, the the defined are never the definers. Something like that. Like defined mm-hmm. are never the the def, definers. You know, meaning basically that that. When you are colonized, when you are subjugated, you don't get to write history. History is written by the quote unquote victors. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really fascinating that you have a country that was run. And uh, I mean, the majority of the peninsula, you know, by the the Moors for what, 400, 500 years. I think you would they would understand that concept. But no, because I'm sure, you know, by the time. Isabel and Ferdinand got in, they just rewrote everything. So that's also, you know, that's also history being like, okay, I know y'all said that happened in the past, but now we're going to rewrite history. <laughs> Be like, so <laughs> right? So I think it's nuanced. I'm, I'm happy though, that I think the younger generations of Spaniards, especially the ones that have gone abroad or to study and are just who are open and interested and they really want to take their country into a different direction. They seem to be quite open and aware 
of it and have something to say. So that's, I think, really heartening to me where, you know, I can have these kind of hard discussions and they're open for it. Cause I'd be like, but what about this? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I feel, I kind of feel the same way about younger, like generation here in the U S too. Like they're so much smarter about social issues than I was at their age. <laughs> I kind of want to segue a little bit to another question, especially since we talk about relationships on this podcast a lot. I wanted to ask if there are nuances of dating abroad that you don't think get talked about enough. Girl, so much. It all comes <laughs> down, but it all comes down to intentionality and mm-hmm. and a clear vision for what you're what you want to do. Like, think about it. Even when we're thinking about going to the grocery store, we vision going to the grocery store and what we want mm-hmm. and where it is, how it's going to take us, things like that. Now we might get distracted and be like, "Oh, I think I need this coconut milk or whatever." Like that happens. But we, we we vision it before we even go. A lot of people don't have intentionality or vision for their dating life at all. And they're like, I'm just going to go with the flow. And you're like, what? So then it's like, okay, so you, you're going to go to the, you're going to go with the flow to the grocery store. All right. You think you know what you like, you know you, what you don't like. But then you're in the grocery store, you get bombarded. And now you have FOMO. And now you're like, well, maybe I should, I mean, I hate, you know, canned collards or something gross. Like I but maybe I should have it. I mean, I really want fresh and healthy and amazing, but maybe I should get like this Twinkie in a can cuz maybe like this is all they have. Like that's that's universal. That's universal. Right? So abroad brings the aspect of culture, cultural nuances, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, what is normal, what's not normal. That needs to be handled, especially if you're Mm -hmm. going to be moving to a place that maybe has strong moral laws or religious laws or things like that. But I think it's, it's about intentionality and knowing what you were wanting, obviously being able to speak a language or having someone to speak your language that, that may filter out people, but that might be good, right? Maybe if you're like, I only speak English and I need you to speak English and maybe that wherever you move to, that is a that means that this person has studied abroad, so they have a different kind of viewpoint. Maybe that's good for you. But I think the biggest things about dating abroad that people don't think about are like what happens when it goes bad? <laughs> like what happens if, if it goes bad? And I don't want to bring it like be negative, but what happens if you are in an abusive relationship as a black woman like, think about it. If you're a black woman in the United States, you're abusive relationship. Think about how you would feel going through like all those types of procedures. Will I be believed? All these things that feels like it's heavy and you speak the language. It's your culture, your country, your full citizen. You got rights. Da, da, da. You go somewhere else. And will I be will I be believed? Do Can I articulate what has happened? What's occurred? I'm a foreigner. Is my is my residency attached to abuser or whoever? People don't think about that or not even, you know, abuse. A relationship just ends. Partnership ends and you have children and you're like, cool. The Netherlands was great, but I'm out. And you're like, without your children, you are, but not with them. And now you got to live in a place until these kids are 18 because you can't take them anywhere. That's some real stuff. (laughs) Real. There are so many women, and I hope that they start a podcast or 
you know, because it's a sensitive subject. I've had people, especially this coming season, who's had a very litigious, contentious kind of situation with their children. And they couldn't even get into it that much on uh, like on the podcast because it's a problem and it's it's legal and things like that. And it's like it was a whole negotiation and all these other it's It's a lot. So I think that people have to think about that. But also, I would say. You know, things that people don't consider when they're going abroad is like something like less traumatic, I would say, is like just different expectations and relationships and different beauty standards, which I think is very, look, people, I think a lot of Black women that listen to my podcast, I have two episodes called Dating Abroad Part One, Part Two. I have a whole panel about dating abroad on YouTube. People love the subject, but there's a lot of romanticization about like, I'm going to go abroad and find my man. And a lot of the women on my panel were like, if you choose wisely. So I've had a woman on my podcast and she, people love her or they hate her. I think it's interesting. She has a whole theory about dating abroad and where you should go and how you should approach it based upon your body size, your complexion. Mm. And what you're looking for in a partner, because some places you're going to be like, he's not going to make as much money as you. Are you okay with it? Or you need to look like this or you need to look like that. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to ask is, is there anything that you miss of the U.S. or living in the U.S.? Target. Target. I do. <laughs> I, I I miss consumerism as bad as that sounds. Man, I miss just buying stuff. I miss like having my little SUV and filling it up with stuff I don't need and take it to my house and parking in my garage and just taking all my stuff. Because look here, like, I mean, you could get a car, but I've always lived in a major city or, you know, a city that I didn't need a car. And like, I don't have a car, so I have to carry all those things. And because of the pandemic, I think like the online shopping has gotten better here in Spain because they are I feel a couple decades behind with the whole digital stuff. Like Amazon.es is not Amazon.com. Okay. Really? No. And Amazon Prime for for Spain, I don't think it even offers same day delivery. Or maybe it didn't. Maybe it did it or two day delivery. Like before the pandemic, I was like, I don't think they did. They were just like, Prime just means no shipping and you'll get it when you when you get it. You'd be like. Wow. And there was a distribution center in Barcelona. So I'm like, what do you mean I can't get it like in two days? Should I drive there and get it? So I think maybe now (laughs) because of the pandemic, they sped things up. But yeah, I miss consumerism because I got to carry all this stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't need it. Or Or trying to find something and you have to think, well, in Atlanta, I go to Kroger and get probably all these things. I get at Kroger, I could go get something from a pharmacy. I get some food. I could get some poster board and some tape. I get all this stuff in the same place. Now I have to be like, okay, so where where do I need to go? It's going to be multiple places. And then I got to be like, what do I really need to get today? Like, what do I really need to get today? <laughs> and then I go out and maybe the place is closed or doesn't have exactly what I want. And then I get tired and I get, and I'm like, if I got food in the house, that's it. I guess I won't have tape. I guess I won't have something. You know what I mean? And before I've lived in places with elevators and now I've moved to a place it's a walk up. And so now I'm like, I'm not carrying nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and the delivery guys don't like to walk up the stairs. So they'd be like, oh, okay, girl, this is going to be right here, down here. I'd be like, man. So yeah, I miss consumerism. <laughs> I want to buy stuff. I want to get stuff. 
But like my lifestyle is like, no, which is good. You know, save a lot of money. I don't have a lot of crap I don't need, but sometimes I just want to buy stuff. And like, it's just like Target stuff. Where When I walked in the store, I had no idea I needed this, but it's so cute. I need it for my house. I don't have that feeling when I go into these stores. I just feel like, all right, I guess that's okay. Like I go into Zara home, which I guess I'm still not doing it. It's not like Target. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I felt like I was surprised when you said that. Like, was I not being a thing in consumerism? But I guess I understand it. When I was in Venice, I was in Venice, Italy for six months. And so you walk everywhere unless you take the water bus. And like, I had same thing with you. I had to figure out what store to get it and they might not have it. And then you got to walk somewhere else. So I get it. But <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Never, I don't know why I didn't think like Spain would be a place where you wouldn't have those kinds of conveniences. No, and, and it's like a taste <laughs> thing too. I feel like Target, that's like the taste level. It's always like a little bit cute. They have some things, you know, they have like the bubbly stuff, like the sophisticated stuff. Whereas, you know, here I go into stores. It's like, this is a grandma store. Shout out to the grandmas, but like, I don't want this in my house. Now I got to go somewhere else, you know? And then I might say something, I'll use a word. And they're like, what do you mean that word? I'm like, you know the thing? And I got to describe it. And they're like, mm, this is not the store for it. And they act like it's crazy. You're like, oh, okay. This home goods store doesn't sell sheets and I'm crazy. Like, you know, stuff like that where you're just like, man, I guess I'll just have two sets of sheets and that's it. And, you know, like not cute stuff. Like sometimes it feels that way. So until you get like good recommendations from like, you got to go, this is why you have to go outside. You got to talk to locals and people and be like, where do you guys get this? So then those recommendations become like lifesavers. Cause I'm like, I'm only going to this place because everybody else says that's where you get it. Cool. But mindless consumerism, I feel like it's not a thing here. And sometimes I wish it was. I know that's like controversial, but whatever. It's true. That's how I feel sometimes. Hey, listen. <laughs> I'm not mad at it. I have a couple stores that I frequent. I'm online shopping every two weeks. I'm not mad at it. Okay, so I know that you are, you have a business helping people move abroad with intention. So I wanted to ask if there are maybe one or two things that you suggest people consider when they are like in the beginning stages of thinking about moving abroad. Yeah. So I, I have a guide and I have a course, both called Moving Abroad with Intention. And I recommend people to get the guide because for right now it's free. So y'all should get it. It's on the website, flourishsofloor.com slash resources. The biggest thing about moving abroad and what I think, what is the difference between people who make it abroad? And I'm not just saying like stay in one place because you can stay in a place and be miserable. And I'm not talking about being financially okay, even though that's obviously really important, but really having an impactful time, like having a good time, enjoying yourself, making it feel like I'm here, not just like you're counting down the days to something else. The biggest part of that is knowing yourself. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. So I'll see like in Facebook groups, people just be like, where's a cheap place with a beach that I can move to? What does cheap mean? Because to some people, cheap is what? Cheap could mean different parts of Mexico, because also not all parts of Mexico are cheap people, even though everybody thinks it. it's not so. And also, I don't know what your budget is. I don't know what cheap means. And a beach. Mm-hmm. There's beaches in Denmark. There's beaches. <laughs> but do you- 
there. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's beaches <laughs> in Portugal. There's beaches in New Zealand. There's beaches a lot of places. But what are you talking about? What do these words mean? People are like, oh, with good education. What does that mean? Especially in the United States. Like, what does that mean to you? Because... So I think a lot of people, I think it's because of this feeling of they're like escaping something and everything else is just better outside of the states, wherever they're from. They they don't want that responsibility of having to figure it out. And maybe because they've been in a heightened kind of survival mode, they haven't even paused to really deeply assess what is it that they really want and being honest, because guess what? Not everything that you want is going to be the same as somebody else on the Internet. People always have something to say, be like, I don't know why you live in Europe. You should just go back to the continent. And it's always somebody who's never been to the continent, even though I've been and like have friends. And I'm like, I'm going to go to Rwanda. It's always like, okay, John. Okay. It's so important to do things for yourself. It's so important to know yourself. So the biggest thing you have to do is, and this is what the guide actually goes through is, Make an assessment. What's working in your life? What's not working? What's working in your financial life, professional, physical, emotional, mental life? And what's not working? And then with both of those lists from the things that are working, how much of that is internal? That's like just you and your goodness and what you manifest and create in your life. And how much of that is is external? So how much is that just like this is the environment that I'm in? And that's important to understand so that you can find similarities in a place that makes you feel good. And now the things that are not working, how much of that is you and how much of that is external? External, you can leave and make sure you don't go to an environment like that. Cool. Internal, you're taking out stuff with you. So that's what it, when people are like, wherever you go, there you are. That's you. So if you hate Colombia, you hate wherever, you hate and you're one of those expats who are always complaining about stuff on the Internet. And look, I can I can complain all the time. I have a lot of stuff to complain about about Spain. But I also know, like, this is the country. It is what it is. You know, uh, it's, it's you. If you don't understand yourself, you're going to break your own heart. You're going to go to a place and be like, you know, you're like, I thought Spain, there was like more flavor in the food. Like, why would you think that? Why would you, why would you think that? Listen, I'm not even going to lie. I was surprised. <laughs> so when I went, when I went to Spain and Portugal, <laughs> I was like, uh, there's paprika and some parsley and some lemon. So you can, so you can, so you can taste the real ingredients. I'm going to need some black. I'm going to need, actually, let me go into the kitchen. What else you got? You got some garlic powder. What else is happening here? But those are things that you, if you know yourself, then you can make appropriate decisions for yourself as you move abroad, or at least you can understand your expectations. You can be like, I was expecting that to not fill this part of me. That's the biggest thing. Like people don't understand what they really need to survive and thrive because I would say, especially black Americans have been put into a place in which it's survival or it's constant achievement and accomplishment, but like to what end and for whom? Like, are we achieving things because we want to achieve them? Are we achieving things because our grandma and our mama told us to achieve them? And that's what we did. We went out and got it. You know what I'm saying? What is it that you truly value? What is it that you really need to live a life well lived? What does that even mean? Take the time to define that. Take the time to define what professional wellness means to you, not anybody else. It doesn't matter if anybody else gets it because you can create a life that works for you. And then people be like, well, how'd you do that? It's like, well, I figured out what I wanted to do and I did it. 
I did it, right? So that's the biggest thing about moving abroad. And if you want to do so sustainably, and if, especially if you want to do so in a way that feels good, but also I think mitigates that fear of failure. A lot of people have a fear of failure abroad thinking like, I'm going to go broke and have to busk on the streets of Madrid. I'm like, no, no, you don't. Because they probably wouldn't let you in the country if they thought that was a possibility on a visa. Now, people overstay mm-hmm. tourist visas all the time. And that's another conversation. All right. So they probably wouldn't let you in the country if they thought you didn't have enough money to sustain yourself. But also the fear of like, I'm not going to like it. And I'm going to go home with my tail between my legs and people are going to judge me. If you do so intentionally, you're like, I made a choice. I experienced it. I made a different choice. That's it. And it doesn't really matter what people have to say. It's like, I make choices for myself. Is that what you're commenting on? The choices I made for myself in my business? Why you're commenting on my business? <laughs> like, But if you don't do it intentionally, then maybe you're going to be more susceptible to those external influences. It's just like, absolutely not. So for me, that is where you start. You don't, you start with that. You understand who you are. That crafts the vision that you then look at countries and cities to see if it fits. You don't pick a city because you had a great vacation and then try to fit your life to fit into it. Because it could have just been a good vacation place. Like maybe you should just go there every summer, but you shouldn't live there. And too mm-hmm. often people are like, oh, but I love it. So I got to figure out how I can maybe if it don't fit, don't fit. Chill, relax, try something else because we we're looking for wellness, right? We're not looking for just a good time. Wherever you're moving to, you're probably going to be doing dishes. See what I'm saying? Like, unless you have staff and stuff like that. Okay, sure. If, if, that, if that's part of your vision, you should be clear. I need to have staff and this is my budget. Maybe that depends on what country you're going to go to. But, you know, it's living. It's adulting. It's not magic carpet ride every day. So it's important for you to be honest about what do I need to, to live? But also, what... What vision do I hold for myself in this next chapter of my life? So I'm not just moving abroad, like move abroad. I'm being conscious about what am I looking for in this next chapter of my life? Who, what woman am I embodying? Who am I trying to evolve into in this next chapter of my life? Allowing those types of introspective nudges to then develop the vision to then go abroad. It changes everything. It, and it also makes it easier for you, to, for you to decide on a place, on on a lifestyle and all those other things, because you create your own rubric and you're not looking to other people. You can ask more poignant, interesting questions and get way better responses when you have your own rubric instead of asking dumb questions that are going to give you dumb responses and you're going to be mad. If you ask like, what's a cheap place with a beach with good education? Girl, I don't know. Bye. You're not going to be, <laughs> look, if I see that, I'm not responding to you, right? Like I'm not, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to drop moving around with intention guy. I'm just going to scroll on by because no, no, take your life seriously. Be interested in yourself enough to take the time to really figure out what, the hell you actually mean cheap beach edu- like figure it out and then proceed mm-hmm. perfect perfect okay what well, last question think of a black woman who is special to you what do you love about her 
Yeah, my sister, my little sister, Alex, shout out to her. She lives in New York right now. You know, goodness, so much I, I love about her, you know, because, you know, when you're growing up, you're like, oh, little sister and stuff like that. It's still still sometimes now because how about this? I'm going to tell you all our business. How about this? <laughs> Yesterday, I was talking to my sister. I sent her like these photos from an album. She's like, oh my, are you wearing like my green romper? I was like, no, you didn't just, your whole house is full of my stuff. Are you joking me? It was a whole thing. But anyway, past that little sister, big sister thing that is, I think will probably happen even when we're like 70s. What I admire the most about my sister is that she is like one of the most naturally charismatic people I've ever met in my, or I've ever known in my entire life. She's the type of person that like, if she came to Valencia, she would probably know all of my neighbors. I live in a small building and I've seen some of my neighbors. I'm like, okay, hola. She would like know them and been invited to their house. And I'd be like, wait, what? She's the type of person who would be like, oh yeah, let's go to so-and-so like across the street. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh yeah, the bartender from across the street, like I know him. And he says he gave us like free drinks. I'm like, what? I'm like, you don't even speak Spanish. And she's like, no, he's really cool. Cause we like talking about da, da, da. like, she is that person. And it's so genuine and sincere and everybody like loves her. And I think it gets so amazing because like, I don't, <laughs> that's not my personality. I'll be like, let's just keep it at business. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. And goodbye. Thank you, sir. <laughs> She knows she will know everybody, and then everybody is like her plug, and she doesn't know, and everybody's giving her stuff. And I think that's an incredible, incredible skill to have, and I admire it so much. And I think it has obviously benefited her immensely in her life. She's an artist manager, so she manages musicians and things like that, and she's very successful. And I'm like, that's that's like the appropriate like personality industry matchup right there. So I love that about her. And when I think about doing things that like push me outside of my comfort zone, maybe like socially, I think about like my sister and what she would do. But then I think I'm like, mm, I can't do that because it works for her. It doesn't work for me. If I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? People be like, I don't know you. Get away from me. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Okay, so that was the last question I have for you. If you want to tell people who are listening where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, you can definitely find me at my website and on my my podcast website, flourishintheforeign.com. Come check out the podcast. It's all about celebrating, elevating, and affirming the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. It is, you can find it on all major platforms everywhere. You can also listen to it on the website. On the website, I have lots of resources to help you go and thrive abroad. And also, you know, check check me out on Instagram at Flourish in the Foreign, or actually it's at Flourish Foreign. That's what it is, at Flourish Foreign on Instagram. My Instagram stories are popping. Everybody loves my Instagram stories because the Instagram stories are basically like a vision board for a lot of people. So there you're going to get a lot of different perspectives and videos about living abroad in different places, culture, languages, real estate, all abroad. Like I like to just play and people really enjoy it. And that makes me happy. So come on over. Flourish in the foreign. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show, Christine. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much, Kayla. I appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>